you know, our, our biggest challenge is facilities. You know, we need to continue to upgrade our facilities. We've got, like I said, we've got those built-in advantages that yeah. other people don't have. So we have to find the lead donors that we can to have the facilities that, that we need to have to compete at a high level. Uh, so for us, that's what it is. For the NCA, obviously the NIL is going to be continuing to, to uh, hopefully be resolved soon. From Front Office Sports, it's Office Hours, a show where we take you inside the minds of some of the most influential names in the sports industry to break down where things have been and where they are going. Before we get to today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Bitrix. New crypto traders have a wide range of options when it comes to selecting tokens, and the same is true for the trading platform they choose to operate on. There are many factors to consider when deciding on a platform, like token selection, trading features, and trade execution speed. But perhaps the most important is security. Bitrix stands above the competition as the most reliable trading platform and sets the standard for security and convenience in the crypto space. Its innovative solutions offer best-in-class asset protection without making compromises on trade, execution, or flexibility. As part of an industry that hinges on security and accountability, Bitrix is committed to protecting its customers in every part of their crypto trading journey. Bitrix respects its users' trust in the platform and rewards that trust with an ever-expanding list of features and functionalities designed to improve their experience. To learn more about our technology and why Bitrix is the superior choice for keeping your crypto secure, visit www.bitrix.com. Again, visit www.bitrix.com. That's B-I-T-T-R-E-X.com. I'm Adam White, and on today's show, we are joined by Craig Pintons, the athletic director at Loyola Marymount University. At a time of great change in college athletics, Pintons breaks down the impending changes surrounding the NIL legislation, its implications, and how he sees college sports evolving in the future. Craig, it's it's a pleasure to have you. And then also, you know, this has probably been the, the craziest year of your life, but leading up to it, it was probably an interesting journey. Well, no no doubt about it. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate all the work you do for not only the college sports industry, but the sports industry in general. Keep up the good work. Thanks. I've done a, done a great job. But yeah, it's been a, a fantastic journey. I'm, I like to think I'm in my sophomore year here at LMU. <laughs> I like to think we're in our first years of business. Well, there you go. You're, you're, you're a freshman. Yeah, you're exactly. Pre- freshman. And you're not getting the red shirt. Either. No, That's there, a, no red shirt. There is no red shirt. I think there may be a gray shirt at this point. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> there, there is some of that at, at times. Uh, but no, it's been a fantastic journey. You know, I, I have now this is the fifth school that I've worked at and Every school has a, something a little bit different, and it, it's fun to be out here in L.A. where it's sunny every day. Yeah. You can't beat that. And coming from a school like Oregon to a school like LMU, I'm sure there's a lot of differences. And probably, you know, for better or worse, there's probably ones that are good and ones that are like, okay, we have to do things a little bit differently because yeah. it's no longer Oregon. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's a question that I've, I've probably been asked quite frequently yeah. just by colleagues and or fans or, or anyone in general is what are the biggest differences? Yeah. And the, the thing I would say, cause I've, I've basically worked at just about every different level of, of division one, uh, including Texas Pan American, which at the time was a division one independent and everybody in college athletics has the same problems. Cause at the end of the day, we're dealing with student athletes, 18 and 22 year olds who are, are just trying to find their way in life. The, the problems are separated by commas. That is the biggest difference between 
LMU in Oregon. We, we have a lot of the same issues. It's yeah. just we're, we're on maybe a different scale at times, uh, but everybody has the same issues in college athletics. What was the impetus behind the move, right? Oregon's a pretty good job. Probably, you know, have, you know I know you have little kids, a family. Sure. Why did you feel after seven years, right, or yeah. so at Oregon, it was it was ready for the next step and, and really, like, I wouldn't say the ultimate step at a college athletics level, but, like, this is, like, the spot that most administrators want to be. Yeah, no, you, that's a great question. Well, I, I had various opportunities when I was at Oregon and to varying levels of, of interest, yeah. uh, you know, and I think when you get approached by a situation, you, you kind of look at it as, as holistically as you possibly can. And in this situation was called by uh, Daniel Parker was doing the search and gave me a call. And uh, at first I actually told him, I said, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling good. Really like where we're going. I love the, the position I obviously at the university of Oregon. And he said, well, you're going to be down there for the, the Pac-12 golf championship, you're flying into LAX, it's literally 10 minutes away from the airport, which is hard to believe in LA because yeah. nothing is <laughs> 10, 10 minutes, 10 minutes away. away from anywhere. But it actually is. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I went to campus and it happened to be preview day in the spring. So I pull up and there are cars everywhere. Now I knew they had a baseball game that day and I also checked the baseball attendance numbers. Yeah. I knew it wasn't a baseball game. Uh, and, and so I walked around campus. It was a, a beautiful Southern California day, amazing campus and talked to my wife that night and really realized that I loved working at Marquette, uh, when I was there and Marquette is a Jesuit institution, LMU is a Jesuit institution and the values of, of place like LMU that wants to be great and, and LMU does want to be great athletically but hasn't invested in athletics is, is really uh, the reason I'm here because it, it's a great opportunity. And you walk around campus, we have built-in advantages that other schools don't have. The sun uh, being one of them. That is one of them, <laughs> but we have a beautiful campus. We're ranked number 64 in the US News and World Report uh, as an academic institution. So we have things that other people would love to have, but mm -hmm. they don't. Uh, where we're probably lacking is is in facilities and in the past in the investment that we've had into athletics. And that's the part that excites me because we have things that other people don't. And, and if we if we can start to build the right way and not just facilities, but build our department the right way, build our, our staff the right way, our coaches, we've got potential to to really be one of the premier, if not the premier, Division I AAA school in the country. So why were all the cars there then? Well, they, they were there <laughs> all for, there for preview you? day. Yeah, no, they were there for preview day. So the, the cool part of that story is I'm walking around and, I mean, there are people everywhere. Yeah. And it's part like of... They, it's like they planned this. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of, of, of more to it. So I'm walking around and I'm thinking, okay, well, all these buildings are open this day perfect. I'm going to go check out Gersten Pavilion, which is, is where we, we play basketball and, and volleyball. And I quickly realized that they were taking kind of, they had a check-in table, kind of checking badges and, and whatnot, because that's where they were having some type of event. But working in sports, you kind of realize if you just pretend like you know where you're going, you can just walk past. And so I'm probably wearing a polo and khaki. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I walked past and, and walked in. Well, it happened that the president of the university, uh, the pre president Snyder was presenting to these incoming freshmen and gave a really great vision 
of the university, which further convinced me that it was the right place to it's be. It's like you so. were the incoming freshman I know, there I, too. <laughs> I felt well, exactly. It was like he was delivering a message to me. And um, so the next day I called uh, Daniel Parker and said, hey, I'm, I'm interested. And then obviously there was a lot more that went into it after that. Yeah. What's, like, what's it like going through an AD search? I don't think most people kind of understand what it is in terms of like, the effort and probably, you know, just in terms of like what you had to lay out, obviously you don't have to share all of it, but sure. I think that's a, a amazing learning just because it's like, there's a lot of people who want to be ADs, but like, is it something that they want to be? Because like, what, what, what was really this process like? Yeah. The, the process is, is, uh, probably nerve wracking because yeah. it, it just takes a while Yeah, and it, it's probably harder on your, your spouse and then eventually your family, yeah. uh, you know, you, you choose other people have different ways to do it, but you know, we didn't choose to, to tell our kids until, and we, I think we only told our older two kids probably the, the last interview, yeah. um, before that they had no clue that it was even a possibility, but it, it's probably harder on your family. And I think that the biggest part is trying to figure out if that is actually a place that you can live. Number one, that, yeah. that for me, anytime have ever looked at an opportunity, the number one consideration has always been, is that a place that we can live? And if that is a no, it, that, that pretty much ends it. So we got past that point and then it, it becomes, you, you start digging more into the institution. And, and then obviously from a preparation standpoint, you prepare as much as you possibly can. Uh, I probably, I'm, I'm somebody who, when I go into something, I wanna know as much as I possibly can. I'm probably in, in some ways overprepared and that can probably hurt you at times too, if you try to spout off as much as you know, because ultimately the job doesn't go to the person who knows the most about the institution. It goes to the person who's the right fit for the institution. And, and thankfully uh, they determined I was the right fit. So it worked out. And here you are 15 months later. Yeah, here I am. And what was like first 15 months? Like I'm sure a lot of learnings, but you know, yeah. how, how has it been getting your hands in and seeing what really needs to be fixed and, and where you can go? It, it's not any different than any other job that you are in, because I think the first thing is you have to find out as much about the particular place you're working uh, as possible. Second part is you have to figure out as much about the people that you're working with as possible. And people, no matter where you work, is the number one ingredient to success. And you have to have the right people. And it, it doesn't matter if you are working in a department and you have maybe three people that you're supervising and you might work with a couple coaches and you probably work with other people at the university, that doesn't change. It's just, you're obviously the scope of things in terms of the number of people that you're responsible for ultimately does change. And so you're probably thinking more globally about the people that you have and, and what you can do and how you can motivate people. That, that's the hardest part I think when you walk into any situation, any job, yep. it doesn't matter what industry, is trying to figure out what makes people tick and how can you get the most out of the people that you either have uh, or the people that you want to have in your organization. The biggest difference between administrators and coaches, when a coach walks in, and you're starting to see this on the administrative side a little bit more, when a coach walks in, they typically get to bring their staff or hire a staff yeah. with them. When an athletic director goes in, uh, you have what you have it, from a coach and from a staff standpoint. And so you have to really kind of do some personnel evaluations and that takes time. That is not something that you can do immediately. And I think anybody who does that immediately 
is, is, uh, it's tough, you know, unless you're having external pressure on, on a certain position or a certain coach, because you're, maybe I'm just not good at it. And my initial perception sometimes of, of somebody in a position and how they work, people are pretty good at faking it for uh, a couple weeks yeah. or a month or changing their behavior for a little bit, even, you know, just to st- every position I've been in, even when you have uh, an evaluation at the end of the year, and there's maybe something that somebody wants to improve on. And you talk about that. The difference is when you, when you talk about it, sometimes you don't always get to that result or eventually it reverts back to maybe a, a a past behavior. Yeah. So regression to the, yeah, is like they yeah. Call it. no. So I, I think it, that's personnel is, is number one, um, above all. And, and we've got some great people. That's the beauty of it. We, we inherited some people that, that are, are very strong. We have some great coaches and we continue to add new people into the mix that are, are continuing to push us forward. From a leadership standpoint, how is that like tested you obviously you oversaw a group at oregon and oversaw sports and stuff like that but this is a whole new thing yeah you're overseeing everything you're the face of the organization you know did your leadership you know i wouldn't say standards but your leadership you know expectations and what it is that you thought of yourself was was that something that you i'm sure you probably battled with it a little bit too i I think the the biggest adjustment is going to sound weird but the biggest adjustment is realizing that something you say can have a lot of impact yeah and it, it, I have to remind people, I'm a very curious person by nature. So if I ask a question about something, it doesn't mean we need to change it. It doesn't mean that I feel like it's a great thing or a bad thing. I'm just curious about why we're doing something a certain way. And that has been probably the toughest adjustment. And, and that's partially people understanding me as well, because I've had to backtrack a couple of times when I said, well, why did we, why did we change that? I, well, cause you asked a question about it. Well, yeah, but I was just asking a question. I wasn't making a, a announcement on, yeah. on it. So I think understanding that your words carry more weight uh, and, and you are truly at the end of the day, a lot of times the decision maker is, is different than providing counsel. I, I think everybody says that when they, they move over you know, 18 inches or 24, 24 inches is now the standard seat size. I think it used to be 18, so we'll go 24. (laughs) Um, You want to, you know, you want the fan experience to be better. So you make wider seats. Uh, But when an assistant coach moves to a head coach or uh, somebody uh, within the organization moves into the the leadership role, I think there's definitely the magnitude of decisions is is different and the magnitude of decisions now too around athletic departments is definitely changing especially here in california <laughs> certainly i mean a year ago you probably would have never expected what has happened to happen and now you have 13 states considering nil type of opportunities newsom here in, in california signing it into a law by 2023 what has that been like internally to even like try and like manifest and, and, and understand and what is it that you guys are trying to at least even prepare for or even think about? Well, first of all, it, it's such a complex issue yeah. that I, in terms of trying to prepare for it, you don't know what it's going to be yet. So that's the hard part of, about preparation. And, and we talked about that before. I'm, I'm somebody who likes to be prepared and it is difficult to prepare for somewhat unknowns. Yeah. But with that being said, the landscape is obviously changing. Uh, as far as the, 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 the bill, uh, California 206, uh, you know, I, I, I wish that there would have been more 
consideration uh, to wait at least until the name, image, and likeness group came out with their recommendations. That just personally, I think that would have made a little bit more sense to kind of see where that's going. However, I say that, and if that is going to jumpstart it and get it pushed forward, I think that's a, a, a good thing. It is dangerous to have uh, 13 different interpretations of, of what it can be. You know, I saw uh, that New York is proposing to take 15% of, of ticket sales and, and provide that to the student athletes. You know, how, how that relates to name, image, and likeness, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I, I don't understand that portion of it. I'd love to have that explained to me. Ultimately, I do hope that the NCAA makes the right decision. You know, coming up on the marketing side of the business, pretty much my whole career, and obviously tacking on other responsibilities along the way, it, it, there's some archaic rules related to just internal things that you do. Yeah. And to be able to have the freedom to promote your student athletes in a more uh, positive light, I think is a, a good thing. Cause there, there's a number of, of things over the year where you, you have to get a waiver to even work with uh, organizations sometimes. And, and that's frustrating. And, and ultimately if a, a student athlete can profit off their name, image and likeness, I'm, I'm all for it. Has the NCAA come to you guys in terms of like counsel and, and, and what does that look like? The, the back and forth between what they, are trying to do what you guys are trying to do now where you have the outside pressures too and obviously at an lmu it's a little bit different than like say like an sure. oregon would or yeah. you know some of these other big you know usc yeah. ucla but has there been like a, a conversation where it's like okay you know you guys want to do this we want to do this we got to kind of find a, a way to meet in the middle so everyone hopefully continues on yeah i think a lot of that happens at the conference level yeah. and and we have a we we have an outstanding commissioner. Gloria Navarez is, is a, a star. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, she's able to have those conversations and, and hopefully reflect the, the mood and, and the feelings of, of the conference uh, on that level. But ultimately, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. You know, to me, the thing that's getting lost in this a little bit is you're hearing so much from football and men's basketball media members. Well, the reason for that is they have the loudest voice. They have the biggest audience. The most You're, money, they, everything. They, they have everything. And, and so because they have the biggest amount of clout and, and there is obviously financially more at stake at the, in those particular two sports, you're not hearing from the, the other sports that the NCAA has and those particular advocates for those sports and how it will affect them. And I do, I do worry about that. With that being said, I also think if this does get enacted, that you will see the true market value of, of what it will be. And I think initially you're going to see some crazy things happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're going to wonder, wait a second, what is, what is happening here? And especially, obviously, in, in some of the conferences that have uh, more, uh, have bigger fan bases that have maybe some businesses that would be willing to do it. I think everybody has used for whatever reason, the example of auto car dealers. Yeah. Okay. So let's just take that a, a step further. And you have uh, coaches who are now probably part of the process yeah. in terms of, Hey, we really need this kid. Well, that kid ends up not playing for two or three years. Do you think the business owner who invested in that particular kid is going to 
think again about doing that. Ultimately, or are they going to force someone to try and make them play? Right. So there's a lot that goes into that. And so ultimately, I think the market will bear itself out, but there's going to be some craziness initially if it does happen. Um, I think the other thing that isn't getting talked about is, is the collective rights of, you know, for example, uh, EA Sports and, and the college football game, which was extremely popular. Uh, you've got the college basketball game, which actually wasn't as popular. Although I did love myself some Coach K95. <laughs> yeah. In fact, my college roommate, who probably isn't listening to this, used to crush me with uh, number 31 on St. John's, who happened to be Zendon Hamilton, by the way. Um, it, or, <laughs> number 31. Or, it was a likeness, likeness a likeness to Zendon Hamilton, yeah. uh, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Per, but he he sure had the same height and he dunked a lot on me, I know that. Uh, but, but the reality is I think that's not being talked about are the collective rights of, of particular student athletes. And the other thing that's not getting talked about, I, I think there's a tremendous proposal out there that was put together by Josh Rosen and, and uh, two attorneys a couple about a year and a half ago or so. It was released in late August last year, and it just didn't get much attention because I think of the time of the year. And for whatever reason, nobody's picked up on that. But if you go, I think it's fair play for NCA or something along those lines. If you look at that and they lay, they lay it all out on the website, it's a it's well thought out. And I, I hope that people are paying attention to that. What's different about that than what's been proposed or? Well, this, this would take into account the, the collect, you could opt into this essentially, and it would take into the collective rights and there would be, it, it would actually kind of eliminate it. Again, I hope I'm explaining this right, but it would eliminate the, the, it, it would act as an agency and provide opportunities. And again, collectively, you would have opportunities as a group, but then individual stars would also have additional opportunities with the, the caveat being you do not receive the money until you graduate. Got it. And it, it's a really well thought out. It's uh, put together by a, a couple former student athletes who actually understand the system. And that's, a you know, if, if I could say any frustration with this is you have a lot of people talking about a topic which they don't know anything about and they haven't been involved with. And so they're trying to regulate something that they they don't have firsthand experience of. And the one hope I have, and, and we'll, we'll see, you know, how this plays out or how it bears out, Anthony Gonzalez obviously is, has been talked about of, of proposing a, a bill in the House of Representatives. And that would be interesting because if you look at it, Gene Smith is the, the head of the name image likeness uh, working group. Yep. And obviously Anthony Gonzalez played at Ohio, Ohio State. State. I would be shocked if they haven't already had some conversations. And so my hope is that uh, hopefully the name image likeness group can work with uh, Anthony Gonzalez and, and try to figure something out that would, would work. Do you think most athletic directors or many athletic directors share the same sentiment of no. student athletes? You know, there was a name, image, and likeness. There, there was a survey that was just done uh, by Athletic Director U, and I believe it was fifty three percent support it. Yeah. So it, it probably is a, a 50-50 topic. To me, I've again, I've always been supportive of it, and I think back to my time at Oregon, where Marcus Mariota uh, in his Heisman year was had the number eight jersey not Marcus's jersey, number eight jersey, was a top-selling jersey on Nike football that year. We would have sold more 
if we could have put Mariota on the back and given him a cut. There is no doubt in my mind because it's more authentic. It's more of an authentic jersey. Jersey sales, just to, to make this clear too, jersey sales represented 2% of our licensing revenue that year. 2%. So everybody talks, that's commonly used yeah. as, a, as a topic that is, is something that everybody's missing out on. Oh, they're missing out on jersey sales. 2% of the licensing revenue. It's not a big chunk of, of money. It would be nice to, to be able to provide that in, in some cases. And it obviously changed how some schools were doing their numbering. Yeah, um, most of them are just they went to like one, one in like the year. The, or the year, yeah. yeah, or the year. Or, you know, A&M still does 12. Uh, or if they have like a you know, LSU has a kind of a history with the number 18 now, you know, so there's various schools that that might choose it. And then other schools have, have just kind of kept it the same because ultimately they're going to sell more of somebody who, uh, uh, that people want that particular number. Again, I'm not tying it to anybody specific because at this point we can't do that. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I probably have maybe a little bit different view because I came up on that side of the business. I, I've, I've worked in licensing. Yeah. I've worked in marketing. I understand what's at stake, and I, I also realize that the true market value will will eventually bear itself out. And let's let's not complicate this, and and also have people misunderstand this. This is not pay for play. That those are these are two different topics. Yeah, I feel differently about pay for play than I do about name, image, and likeness pay for play is an entirely different topic. Unfortunately, some people are confusing the two topics and and saying that now it's paying student athletes and that just simply isn't it. It's almost like it's the thought process is the Olympic model. Like that's what a lot of people have gone back to, right? Is that, you know, Olympians aren't getting paid for the most part, but they're able to, and especially now with rule 40, I'm adjusting it a lot more. And now you can do different things when it comes to thanking sponsors and Mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, from your standpoint, what has it been? I'm assuming student athletes have come to you about this too. Like, what have what have they expressed the sentiment to in terms of just like, is this something that they want? You know, how would they do it? How would even? I mean, maybe this is too forward thinking, but how would someone like an LMU, where you may not have a Marcus Mariota, but you do have someone who is a volleyball player and she's an influencer? Sure. How do you even get to the point where it's you, like you're supporting on that you, side? You too? just nailed it. You know, I think where the other thing people are not talking about enough on this particular topic is the influencer side of it. And to me, it, you know, it doesn't make any sense when you have, uh, student athletes who are trying to get a jumpstart on their particular career. And let's say they have a YouTube channel, which uh, I'm not using an example that actually exists. I'm not going to talk about the specific school, but, or, or the situation, but if you have a YouTube channel and you're trying to get a jumpstart on, on something that you're passionate about completely unrelated to your sport, why can't you just be treated like a normal student? You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. If you're a, a student athlete who is in it, considered an influencer on social media for whatever reason, and it, you know, if it is happen to be related to your sport, uh, that's okay. There, there's young men and women who have pre-existing modeling uh, careers that they, before they even get into uh, college athletics. And to be able to restrict that, just that's never made any sense to me. So there's a completely different side of it that I think 
uh, th- there are, are things. And, and believe me, I, I'm not going to share the ideas I've already had in my head <laughs> about how we could capitalize on yeah. it at LMU, but uh, we are forward thinking and I think we'll, we'll have some unique ideas to, to be able to capitalize. What's the support been from a president and like an overall university standpoint, right? Because this is not, this is like, one part of the university, right? And theoretically, a lot of these things, I think this is the other thing that most of these conversations forget is that athletic departments, while yes, everyone pays attention to them, they're not the biggest line item on most Mm -hmm. universities, right? Like they're like 10 of 10 of 10 of 10 of 10, right? Like they are small. Like most universities could function completely fine without an athletic department. Like, yeah, maybe there's obviously tangential opportunities where it comes from like, you know, you see these teams go to the national championship Clemson emissions up and stuff like that. Theoretically people are already going to go to Clemson, right? Or whatever it is, Alabama, whatever it is like that. So what has that been like too internally for, especially from LMU, which I think maybe I wouldn't say you can take a different risk, but I would say you're not in like the national spotlight where you, you have the chance to like be different. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a, we have a great president. Uh, President Snyder is, is first of all, a extremely intelligent person. He's also very rational, yeah. which is great because he has a, a very unique ability to absorb information and understand it very quickly. And, and in situations like this, if you explain enough to him, he, he also is a curious person by nature. So he's going to read a lot about a particular topic and, and form an opinion. Um, and, and that's a great thing. And we have had some conversations about this particular topic. And the great thing is he, he also, from a leadership standpoint, kind of allows you to do your job. Yeah. And so if I have a position on a particular topic, unless he vehemently disagrees with it, that's kind of where he, at least to this point, has stood on, on various topics because he wants counsel from people that are perceived, again, I don't want to call myself an expert, but yeah. perceived experts in that particular area, which is a great thing. And, and as far as doing different ideas, you're right. Uh, I mean, we, we gave uh, free beer to two free beers to any student over the age of 21 last year. So, you know, why not? Yeah. I mean, we, we can, we can do that. It's, it's not like you'll be in the, it's not in the, I don't think it's in no. offense. It's just like, you're not no. going to be in the national media for the no. most part. It, it, it's kind of nice to be able to, to have that uh, capability to, to, to do some things. Yeah. And do you think a lot of why people, I wouldn't say aren't progressive, but aren't taking a stand or trying to figure out different ways to, I would say, enhance truly the student athlete experience through this opportunity, through name, image, and likeness. Do you think it's more out of misunderstanding or more out of like fear of what is going to happen and like not knowing what, what could be next? Well, I think generally uh, people are, are pretty conservative uh, in terms of their approach and also not knowing what's going to be next. You, you don't want to put yourself out there uh, to, to be... I guess put in a bad position for your institution and there's a lot at stake. And and you also don't want to receive calls from, from various people around the country that are upset with you. And so I think there's a lot at stake for, for athletic directors to, to speak out on the topic. And, and generally most people are going to wait and also wait and see, because it is also hard to make a proclamation on what's going to happen. But I, I will say this. I mean, it, it's coming yeah. that the handwriting is there on the wall. You know, if we were having this conversation a month and a half ago or two months ago, I, I probably would be a little bit more cautious yeah. about what I'm saying. But it, the the reality is it's, 
it is going to happen at this point. That that is pretty clear. Yeah. Because there's too much momentum to to turn it around. So why would you hide hide from that or not speak out uh, on how you really feel? Because you you need to be prepared to to have your department ready yeah. for when something does change. And theoretically, here, I mean, depending on if the all goes plan, you have we're in LA three years, right? You know, but what we're I mean? also in LA. But you're too. here. Yeah, you know? we're we're here. We're here in LA. There are uh, that's an advantage we have also. Yeah, we have. Uh, other things here that other student athletes around the country won't be able to take advantage of. Uh, we're in Los Angeles. And how do you think your department at least prepares for Like what, even maybe even generally speaking, what do you think like an athletic department now is going to look? I don't think fundamentally it's going to change too much, right? But like, hard do to you say. have auxiliary services? Are it, you having in-house media for these kids? It's really, really hard to say until you know what the the scope of, of what is going to be permitted um, how it, it's going to change because it, how much of it is going to be handled internally. You know, the, the part that I, I, I wonder about is what it does with multimedia rights. I mean, th there are so many, I, I could, I mean, we could talk all day about this 100%. because there's a, a million different offshoots of, of what this could look like or how it's going to be. The part I worry about the most, again, I've, I've probably said that like five times because there's a lot of things I worry about, yeah, but, yeah. but, also is student athletes receiving the right kind of counsel. Um, and, you know, the, the California law obviously had, they, they could be represented by an agent. Well, guess what? Uh, there's, there's a lot of great agents out there. Don't get me wrong. There, there's a lot of great agents. There are some that give agents a bad rap. Yeah, just like and any profession. Just like right? any profession. Yeah. But those ones are more glorified in the media and talked about, and, and they, they do exist. And so you worry about that portion of it. You worry about, uh, you know, the interesting thing that most people aren't talking about with the California law is that it couldn't conflict with an existing sponsor. Well, guess what? Every multimedia rights holder is going to say that conflicts with a, a sponsor in a particular category. So, you know, you think about our, uh, our baseball team, for example, uh, we have a, a pitcher on our baseball team who is projected as a at this point as a first or second round pick. Again, a lot depends on how he does this particular year. Yeah. But if he was to be able to try to get a deal, if this actually did exist, if we're fast forward to 2023, and let's say that we're still in the NCAA because we're in California. Yeah. Uh, but he can't get a glove deal because we've got a glove deal. Can't get a cleat deal because we've got a cleat deal. Can't get a hat deal because we have a hat deal. So his on the uniform deal, no, he's out there too. Can't really get a sleeve, arm sleeve deal because he's a pitcher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't hit. Eye so, black, maybe. Yeah, maybe eye black, yeah, you know, yeah, he could yeah. wear something. I mean, he'd have to get super creative in, in terms of, um, or his agent or however this ends up shaking out to make it even work. And to so to me, uh, there's a lot of things that are gonna go into this. And, and then how does that relationship work with your MMR? It's going to be fascinating. And do MMRs try to take it on themselves? Interestingly enough, um, there are a couple of MMR contracts that were forward thinking enough to to strike this out of the out of the MMR deal. Wow! And have you guys had that conversation? Do you you have an MMR? We right? do. We we're with Van Wagner. Yeah. And have you had that conversation? We uh, we have not had that specific conversation, <laughs> yeah. but we will at yeah. some point because it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And how do you think it changes just 
the overall landscape of what LMU has to offer, right? Like, is is this potentially, I wouldn't say, is it, a, I don't know if it's a bad thing, but like, do you think it changes? And this is like, I think the big conversation is like that everyone's going to go to Alabama or everyone's going to go to Clemson because like no. that's where all the money is, right? Do you no, think it's the, not because here's where, and I think I, I want to attribute this to the right, to the right person. I yeah. believe it was Dan Wetzel who wrote a, a really good piece on this. Uh, and, you know, one of Dan's points was, Boise State, he used as an example. If you're the quarterback at Boise State, you potentially could have an opportunity to really capitalize on that regional market. Yeah. You know, it's a Boise's a growing area. And that to be the quarterback at Boise State probably has some name, image, likeness value to it. Is that a better? situation than to be a you know used alabama and clemson yeah. so i'll use them in, in this example then being the number two or number three who might get a, a shot at some point at to be the quarterback at alabama or clemson hard to say you know again the market if this does come to fruition the market will bear itself out as it usually does right yeah in terms it, of no, everything. It, it, it will i mean it it's a it's a fascinating topic it's a complex topic and it's something that nobody has answers for. I mean, I, I obviously have opinions on it, but that doesn't mean that any of those are even remotely close to reality. And, and I think a lot of it comes back to too, and I, I wouldn't say this is a thing that's like for everything, but like college athletics predominantly has been known to be slow moving compared to everywhere else. Sports in general is slow moving for the most part. That's but a really fair assessment. College that athletics is, is, is extremely slow. So do you think that this, I would say, fundamentally changes how the college athletic departments run how departments are structured, right? Because even most people don't talk about this, but most college athletic departments are reliant on the universities to subsidize many of them. Like yeah. there's very few profitable college athletic departments. No, no there, there's very few that are truly self-sufficient. Yeah. There's a handful that are really self-sufficient. Excuse me. There's a handful that are kind of self-sufficient. And then the majority of us are are not. We're relying on institutional dollars to make things work. And now it's like, what does that look like too? Like, how do you get in it? Yeah. Do, do you have the opportunity here where you're cutting name, image, and likeness deals? And I'm not saying the university gets a part of it, but almost it's like, I think athletic departments now are functioning truly as businesses themselves versus like just athletic departments as part of a university, right? Like, I think what happens if, and this is just something that I've thought about, like what happens if Loyola Marymount and you guys, like, I wouldn't say break away, but just become a business entity. You're running sure. the athletic department like a business. You license the logo from Loyola yeah. Marymount. And then, okay, that's that's how you pay them back versus like, you know, I mean, maybe at some point there's like an athletic department or a school. It's like, you know, I don't want to underwrite, you know, $10 million a year or whatever it is to this thing. Like maybe if they just paid us $5 million a year and they figure it out, I'm fine with that. Right. I mean, you could you could potentially see that, but yeah. I, I think that would be a, a, a big stretch because of the fact that, you have alums that have such an affinity for the school. Yeah. I, I think that one would be be tough. But look, the, still be part the model of the could change. Yeah. yeah, no, you know, I mean? you know I've, I've <laughs> I made a prediction a while ago, but I, I don't. For I think it's way down the road. I don't even think we're anywhere close to this. But I could see at some point where in football specifically, where you could have exactly what what you said, where it just is essentially. You're you're using those th those marks for that particular team, and you have uh, a, a collection of, of schools that want to do it that way. And maybe 
that is something that could happen in the future. We'll yeah. see. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy. And I know another thing that we've talked about, but uh, it's just overall too, that there's been in the news a lot. And I think it's part of this whole argument is that you have a lot of these group of five smaller schools who are going to pay power five schools getting paid to do it. Sometimes they upset them. Appalachian state is an mm -hmm. example of that. Some of these other ones that have done it, but a lot of these people and the argument, you know, steams, this has become that, Oh, these kids are just laying their bodies on the line for the athletic department, commit millions of dollars. Obviously it's underwriting a lot of it, but like, how does, how does that dynamic change? And then also like from a scheduling standpoint and like where you're making things more competitive or it's just like there's a lot of these nuances that I don't think people understand. Yeah, I, I think the the scheduling piece is, you know, to me, uh, a lot of times that it's a budgetary thing. And so, for example, at LMU, we do both. I mean, we, we buy games and we get bought. You know, there's a kind of a, a, a working number that we're trying to hit uh, and, and we buy more than we, we get bought. But, it, you know, that is, is something that uh, I think you're starting to see those numbers get so out of whack. And, and the reality is, I think, I think we're going to reach a breaking point soon on that in, in football and in basketball, because you're seeing numbers that are in football, obviously well north of a million dollars for a game. And ultimately, I think some of the schools are starting to realize, wait a second, we're going to pay 1.5 for this game. And the ticket revenue is the the delta on the ticket revenue is not enough to as what it would be as if we were playing somebody and not paying them. Yeah. And hopefully you'll start to see more home and homes because that'll be better for college football. And you have a, a theory on this. I right? do. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, oh. the, the locky plan. Walk us, walk us through that. Sure. So I, I <laughs> something I came up with um, and I actually put a, put a blog post out there on it, but what the locky plan would be, it would require all power fives to, and, to play nine conference games, first of all. And then it would take, you'd have two uh, home and homes and it would rotate. So essentially, and it would be very similar to the NFL schedule. So if you look at the NFL schedule, the last game of the year, essentially the standings determine what you're, who you're going to play the following year. Obviously you in the NFL, you play the teams in your division. If you're a division winner, I believe you end up playing the division, other division winners in your conference. You have an assigned conference that you or a division that you play in the AFC if you're an FC team and vice versa. And then uh, it, that's how the schedule is determined home and away. This would essentially do the same thing. So if you, if you think about it, if you finish uh, in the PAC 12 North, you're the third team in the PAC 12 North, you would maybe play the second team in the SEC East and you would play at the SEC East one year. And then the following year, you play at the Pac-12 North. Uh, and, and so it'd be a two-year rotating schedule. You'd play the games in, in week one, and then later in the season, I think I, I put week eight or something like yeah. that. And it would be interesting because you would have 11 games and they would all be scheduled. And I think some people would say, well, you can't plan the travel for that. You can plan the travel for that. You can do a bowl game in like three weeks yeah. or two weeks. Yeah. Uh, you can figure out travel for a year in advance and really two years in advance with this model. But yeah, it was just something I, I came up with. And I think you can extend it to basketball scheduling as well. Basketball scheduling is hard. Football scheduling is hard. It takes up a lot of time. And obviously people are spending a lot of money on it. 
uh, you'd have to find these type of scheduling alliances. And again, I, I say that as a, the, the power five, that would obviously work really well for the power five schools. The group of five would, would be not happy yeah. about that particular model because it wouldn't provide them an opportunity. But let's face it right now, the way the playoff system is, how many, how many group of fives have made it into that four? Uh, zero. Yeah, and closest was UCF. Right. And they're power six, as, and, as and, they call it. Yeah. And they weren't, uh, you know, they, they ultimately, they weren't really even that close to the, to the four. I don't remember what their final ranking was yeah. in the last one, but you could do the same thing in basketball. And, and you see this a little bit with, it started years ago, really with the, the big 10 ACC challenge that, that has been going on for a long time. And then they kind of took a hiatus and now they're kind of back to it. And, but you could expand it beyond that. And, and maybe you have groups of conferences where the seventh place team is going to the third place team or whatever it might be. And you, you just, you do that from year to year. And it would be, it, it would be something that would relieve a lot of stress out of a lot of people's lives to just know that it, you have a couple games that are already scheduled for you. Yeah. And, and I'm sure too, like I'm, I'm assuming the discussion is, has changed a lot just internally. Right? I'm, I don't know what the athletic director fraternity looks like, but what is just the prevailing thought inside the conversations what you have with other athletic directors about both the future of college athletics and like the preparedness to make sure that it can be somewhat sustainable? Because you have people who think in five years, the NCAA is not going to be around right? yeah. or, or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I, I I agree with that prevailing thought at all. Uh, you know, the NCA over the years has withstood a lot of different changes. Uh, you know, in the early 1900s, they wanted to drop football, and because of of death. safety, yeah. yeah, I mean safety issues in the early 1900s, and and Teddy Roosevelt came in and and helped. Uh, make things happen. So maybe government ne does need to get involved in yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Maybe bad example. Yeah. Um, but no, I think the NCA will be around. You know, as far as talking to other athletic directors about kind of the future of the industry, you, you talk generally maybe about a particular topic, but life is is so in the moment and, and reactive yeah. in college athletics because something is always happening. I mean, you know, I've been away from my phone now for 40 minutes and there's probably something that's happened. Uh, you you just don't have a lot of time to to talk and and really try to strategize on what that looks like and and but when you do have those conversations i think people have different everybody has a little bit different opinion because again it depends on your situation and and what is good for your school and there's 351 division 1 schools there's a wide variety within that 351 and that makes it pretty difficult do you ever see that opportunity that maybe division one gets obviously we have division one division two and division three yeah. but is there somewhere like 351 gets split up into into different areas to i mean just like in terms of overall economics because 200 through 351 is a lot different than one through 50 sure well yeah potentially yeah. but that's been talked about for 25 years and it has remained pretty much the same um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it could potentially happen that way. I think where it could potentially happen would be in the next round of realign, realignment, which should happen around 2023, potentially when a lot of the TV contracts expire. Yeah. Because what could happen there is if you really think about it collectively, if conferences really, this sounds crazy for people that have been longtime fans of college sports, but conferences ceased to exist uh, 
And again, you had com combination of conferences. So maybe the power five just does become that, you know, it's just, Hey, the power five, and you're going to have similar to what I just described from a scheduling model. That's how you would determine what the schedule is going to be. And you have those 65 schools in football doing their own thing. You don't think that if the six, those 65 schools now, you couldn't get all of them to agree to that. That would be difficult because obviously there's a, a <laughs> that's a pretty big topic of discussion that the TV contracts and the difference between the TV contracts and they don't all expire at the same time. But I could, you, you could see in the next round getting bigger and bigger. Now, again, it only gets bigger if everybody's piece of the pie also gets bigger. Yeah. That's the only reason you would do it. And you mentioned, and we've talked about it too, just it's been like that for 25 years it's slow why and, and and you've been working in the industry for you know over 10 plus years you've been at all these stops college athletic athletics and the athletic departments as a whole as we talked about are slow moving not as innovative why do you think that has been the case and do you think it takes stuff like what is happening with nil conversation and potentially all these other things that like actually gets them to try and get ahead of things versus like react that's a great question. I, I don't. I don't really know why we're like that. Uh, I think college athletics has become a lot more nimble from the time I started in college athletics till now. You know, I, I think uh, obviously, again, starting on the uh, on the marketing side, I used to always tell people that it would hit a Fortune 500 company maybe two or three years later, probably hit the NBA because NBA at the time was by far the most progressive in yeah. terms of marketing and things that they're doing. And then it might filter down to college athletics a couple years after that. Well, you're talking about four or five years of, of a really good idea filtering down. Social media flipped that on its head from a marketing standpoint, because I would argue that college athletic departments probably are stronger in, in most cases than in some cases than, than professional teams. Yeah. And then Fortune 500 companies that have not figured out what they're doing. So yeah. it's like almost a reverse situation on, on social media from, from a marketing side. But as an industry as a whole, I think part of it is if you look at the NSA rule book, it's about this thick. And because of that, you, you, it's so regulated on what you can and can't do. And that makes it very difficult to, now I'm not suggesting that you, a lot of the rules that are in place are, are there for great reasons. Yeah. However, when you have that many rules, it's hard to change a lot of things when there it's everything is so heavily regulated and and a lot of times for good reason. And you think too some of it has come from I mean notoriously that most people spend at least on their way to the athletic director chair one to two years and somewhere and then on to the next on sure. to the next cuz it's that's that's the end goal and it yeah. has to move quickly. It's not like you know, see a lot of people sitting in organizations or athletic departments for years. It's very, very rare. Well, at the administrative side of, of college athletics has become a lot more like coaching, I feel like, yep. uh, in terms of people moving. And again, similar to coaches, there's some coaches who they, they make decisions based on, I want to be in this particular area of the country, or I want to be in this particular city or this particular institution. And other coaches are more than willing to to move if it's going to help progress their career. And I think college athletic administrators have kind of fallen into that as well. And the reality is uh, college presidents are the same way. You know, there's a, a, a huge, the life cycle of a of college president or an athletic director or a, a coach in your revenue generating sports, it's not very long. 
And in some cases, the best way this was explained to me was by uh, Rob Mullins at, at Oregon. He, he, we were talking very early on about an athletic director that had made a move and, and made a change. And Rob said, it's kind of like a bank, you know, as an athletic director, you don't have an opportunity to really make deposits into the bank. Yeah. You only get withdrawals. And after a certain point, uh, there, there's a segment of your fan base in various areas that are upset about a decision you made or a hire you made or something that happened within the department that at, at some point you just, you're, it's like a approval rating. You just, you lose <laughs> yeah. it. 50, 50. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, at some point you go down. And, and so I think that is also part of it as well. And, and the, the pressure on coaches and revenue sports to win is really great. And ultimately unfair or not, uh, athletic directors are judged by their hires in those particular sports. You can have a lot of great things going on and you've seen it across the country where there's some really, really great administrators and maybe a, a coaching hire didn't work out exactly the way they thought it would. And as a result of that, they're, they're out of a, out of a position and, um, th that's difficult, but also, I mean, there's the compensation side of it, which has, has gone up and, and that's part of the expectation as well. And do you think, too is from the compensation standpoint in college athletics notoriously and you probably went through this personally as someone who worked in the industry for a long time is the people who are entry level first couple <laughs> years you don't you don't make a ton do you think that's also um, attributed to some of the i wouldn't say like lackadaisical but i would say maybe like stagnation of the fact that you know there's only a certain type of person who can kind of really work these jobs and yeah. still live <laughs> well yeah i just i chuckle because i i think back to my first position in college athletics and i made a thousand dollars a month with no benefits Gee. uh to get in and I, it's something i wanted to do and i was a, a at that point i had graduated from law school uh so I had a lot of friends who were making a lot more money. $1,000 a day. Right. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> Their billable hours were, yeah. you know, maybe half of that or yeah. uh, starting out for some of them. Uh, but no, I, I, I say that, you know, I was also married at the time. My wife was a, a teacher, which teachers don't make a lot of money. So yeah. it's not like we were making a, a ton of money at that point. And, and really, you, you know, I, I, same thing. I, I took my, my first full-time job after my internship was making $28,000 a year. Uh, at Texas Pan American. And I thought I was, I mean, Rolling. yeah, I'm like, I mean, <laughs> you're ready you know, to buy the new car. I'm not, I'm not great at math, but 28,000 is more than 12. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. by, by more than double. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I felt, wow, if it goes like this every year, I'm going to be in great shape. It did, no, it, did it not, didn't go it that didn't way. Go that way. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, that's, that's great. And I mean, obviously got to this point as an athletic director, next step would be probably an athletic director at a power five school or, or even beyond. But, outside of athletics is there if there was anything that you could ever do personally like is there something that you know like a project that you see like you know what if this doesn't work out or if i'm ready for a change like what's next <laughs> you know what i've never i've never had really? it across my mind really uh i really haven't you know i i there's plenty of i think unique ideas i've had over the years or or business ideas where i'm like oh this would really really work um but i i've never considered anything outside of college athletics, to be honest. I yeah. mean, I've been approached by a, a few different things outside of either athletics and or, or professional sports and just 
never never tickled the fancy that's great hope you find somebody good (laughs) hope it works out and and as you as you go on to this next stage obviously you're a year into this next stage of your career but what's been at least some of the leadership like lessons thoughts that you've kind of taken with you as as you've advanced that you feel have served you pretty well yeah I, i would say uh be intentional you know be intentional about what you're what you're saying what you're doing and and be aware of that as well. And we talked about that a little earlier. I think that's probably the the biggest lesson I've learned in this past year. But part of it is just, you know, growing up, uh, I've always tried to, uh, at least if, even if I wasn't a, a, in a leadership role, provide some leadership and guidance to, to whoever might be in that role. And I think that prepares you when, when you do step into an actual position that just by definition is a leadership role. And uh, to me, I've always been somebody who has tried to focus on on people and understanding kind of what motivates them. And if if we can get people all pulling in the same direction, we're gonna we're gonna be able to accomplish what we need to do. And that's been um, that that's been true everywhere I've been. I you know I I've always just tried to uh, build consensus uh, a lot of times, especially if I have an idea and. As, as you can see, I've got a lot of different ideas. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes executing them, it, it doesn't, execution of an idea does not come at all from one person. It comes from uh, a lot of people within your department and even on campus. And you need all those people to believe in the idea. And so before we do anything, a uh, great example, you know, this year we're, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of, of the 1989-90 LMU team, which is obviously one of the greatest stories in not just college basketball history, but sports history with the tragic death of, of Hank Gathers. And we're doing a statue of, of Hank. Well, before we even got that off the ground, I must have talked to a ton of people on campus. I mean, everybody I could think of that would have a stake in in having an opinion on whether there should be a statue of Hank on campus and not being there, not knowing what the relationship was. And there were lawsuits after the, the death and yep. everything else. Uh, and then obviously I, I checked in with the family as well. And so before we even announced anything, I made sure that everybody that could possibly be related to this project was on board with it. And if not, um, you know, thankfully everybody was, but if yeah. not, we would have tried to work to try to get them get them there because yeah. I think that's important and you don't want to make decisions that, that at least people don't understand about or are surprised by. And because if you think about it on your end, on the other side of it, you don't like being surprised by anything. Yeah. I mean, people don't like that in general. So there's no reason that uh, as a leader, you can't expect the same thing and, and try to be as transparent as you can uh, with your employees biggest challenge you face personally and and I would say maybe an athletic department wise outside of potentially the NIL stuff in the next few years hmm. just at LMU in general or NCAA? I mean I think LMU at NCA both yeah well for for us at LMU uh, you know our, our biggest challenge is facilities you know we need to continue to upgrade our facilities we've got like I said we've got those built-in advantages that yeah. other people don't have so we have to find the lead donors that we can to have the facilities that that we need to have to compete at a high level. Uh, So for us, that's what it is. For the NCAA, obviously the NIL is going to be continuing to to, uh, hopefully be resolved soon, but 
I think the, the other thing is just the perception of college athletics. And it's interesting because you, you, I think Twitter is never a good place to hang out, uh, to, to gather opinions because it just, yeah. it doesn't represent the actual opinions of people. And you have to remember that, but I do, I do fear, uh, for all sports because ultimately at the end of the day, the NCA stat is, is correct. 98% of student athletes are going pro in something else. And our primary job in college athletics is to have those people have students succeed and go and make an impact on the world. You know, my most memorable moments in college athletics have nothing to do with, uh, anything related to accomplishments of our teams or, or great moments and, and have been fortunate. I've been at places that have had a lot of those. It's been watching young people develop from the time they were freshmen till when they leave and just the confidence that they, they achieve as a student athlete. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite moments was uh, Jordan Bell, who was at University of Oregon. And Jordan, as a freshman, did a, did a few things, uh, which are, I mean, they're, they're in the public, so you can look them up. Freshman but related. He did some- 18 year old. He, did, he, yeah. he was just, he kind of did some knucklehead things and nothing bad, but just knucklehead things. Um, and he just, he wasn't, even when he, you talked to him, he wasn't real uh, mature from a, just what he would say. Yeah. Fast forward to his junior year where he's the, the most outstanding player of the, um, of the regional and when we go to the final four and Jordan uh, inter gets interviewed by ESPN and his interview was one of the most incredible interviews I've ever seen. And it was just his maturity as a person. And that's all on, I mean, coach Altman and the staff and our, as well as a support staff at Oregon did a tremendous job. Um, of helping him mature and, and grow as a person. And he gave an interview where he was asked, what does this moment mean for the University of Oregon? And his answer was, hey, this this is great, but we have a lot of great things happening at the University of Oregon. We just won a national championship in indoor track and field. Our women are competing tomorrow in the Elite Eight. And he went on to talk about all these great things at the University of Oregon. And it was just such a mature answer to the point where the person interviewing him afterwards said that was one of the best you know, short interviews I've ever given. Yeah. And I remember walking back from the, walking back to the locker room with Jordan. I just, you know, told him how awesome that was and how proud, cause he, he wouldn't have been able to do that as, as a freshman. If he would have had that type of success, he, yeah. who knows what he would have said. Yeah. Um, but it, that's an, a, more of a, a, a real example that you can see, but you see it just in being around student athletes every day, their maturity from becoming a freshman and all the great things that our coaches and staff are able to do with them uh, to have them go out and make an impact on the world is just, is phenomenal. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you do, make sure to take a screenshot of the rating slash review and share it on social media to get some front office sports swag. We'll see you next time.